It'll be fine. We've got the sturdy wall to protect us. Okay. Okay, guys, we are rolling into another episode of The Candace Owen Show, and this one is a wedding special. No, I'm not talking about William and Kate or or Harry and Meghan. I'm talking about me. I am getting married this weekend, so we decided that we were going to make this a wedding special and introduce you guys to my fiancé, future husband, George Farmer. Welcome to The Candace Owen Show. Hi, babe. <laughs> Can we talk about how nervous I was to do this episode? It's so weird. You were pretty nervous. Yeah, I freaked I out for about like two months saying we couldn't do the episode because yeah. I, I just didn't know how to, what to talk to you about. You were going to freeze every time we spoke. Yeah, I, I know. believe this was. <gasps> I know. That was the face. I know. I was freaking out about it, but then I figured it would be easy because I could just post something on Instagram and answer, ask people what they wanted to ask us, and we would just go through it. Yeah. So we'll start with the number one question that we were asked about our relationship, which was okay. how did you guys meet? And it is a very, very interesting story. Well, so, I mean, you know the story. Yeah, so I I'll do. tell it from my side. Okay. So you came to do an event in London in December, uh, and that was to launch Turning Point UK with Charlie. And the first time we actually met was at the RAC Club, Royal Automobile Club in London on Pall Mall. And you were giving a speech, and I think... From that moment onwards, the connection was made. And then the next night we had this highly convoluted dinner, which we've talked to, which we talked about before, where basically you thought somebody else was hosting it and I thought I was hosting it. And then eventually you turned up three hours late. I, I, would, I would like to make that point now. I showed up three hours late to a dinner where I was supposed to be seated next to him because I had no idea the dinner was going on until about two hours into the dinner. Correct. Yeah. And, and it wasn't just me there. So for reference, it was like a whole host of people who are all waiting to have dinner with you. Right. Um, and then after that, we went back and forth to America. Well, I came to America to come to Student Action Summit at the end of last year and then uh, came back to the UK. And then by mid-January, we were engaged. Right. So just to give everybody context, we got engaged after two and a half weeks, maybe? I think it was about that time. Yeah, right. that's right. Yeah. Right. Which is pretty crazy. Yeah. Whirlwind romance, I believe. Is the I know. Expression. And it's, it was really strange because it was so not my character uh, for me to ever think that I would be a person that said I got engaged after two and a half weeks. And it sort of begs the question and something that Ali Stuckey and I talk about because, I mean, she's now pregnant, um, about to give uh, birth or probably uh, already has given birth by the, by the time this episode airs. Yeah, probably. Um, but, and she actually met her fiance really quickly and they got married. And one of the things that we always talk about is we kind of live in this culture now where people think that you need, there's this like system, right? You need to meet somebody, you yeah. date that person for a length of time, three years, five years, uh, then you need to get engaged. And, and so it goes. And yet the people that I know in my life where the relationships have lasted the longest, mm. Always a very quick engagement. Mm, My grandparents mm, were, were a very, very fast engagement. I know another couple that's 25 years. Um, they dated and, and were married within six months. I think your parents are within... They're my parents within 14 months. Yeah, and I mean, it, you're completely right. I mean, the, the people... There was a person I sat down with. I mean, telling the story to everyone is always quite interesting because you get a, a whole range of reactions. And I mean, we both know that there was quite some quite entertaining reactions at the beginning. People being like, this is ridiculous and you're never going to work and all this kind of stuff. And then... And then there was also the reaction where I sat down with a friend of um, a friend of a friend, um, and I told him the story. And by the end of the story, he burst into tears because he said, "I've never heard something like that before, apart from my grandparents who were married for fifty-eight years uh, and and only you know separate. Well, they didn't separate. His grandfather died, and so it is. It's one of those things where I think our culture today encourages these kind of long romances, which don't necessarily lead anywhere, let's put it like that. And right. actually sometimes, I mean, when you know, you know, is the everyone said, when you know, you know. And so as a result, it was kind of, when you when I met you, I knew, and I that know. was it. And so it was just the case. And I, I love I love our story. I think it's an incredible story. I mean, like, how many people can say that? I know, not, not many, many people, people can say that. And right? most people are overthinking it. I know girls that are in these sort of tragedy of relationships, 10 years, 10 plus years, yeah, break up, break up galore 17,000 times, then they finally, yeah. you know, get the ring and that's supposed to be a celebration. Great, if it's what you want. Uh, mine just happened in a different way. And yeah. I never thought it would happen to me to say when you know, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I definitely knew. And so the other question, obviously, that people are asking is, how did he propose? Which is kind of an even crazier well, so, story. 
So yeah, that, that well, there, there's there's actually two in, there's actually two proposal stories. Right. I, think, I think that's fair to say. Right, I guess. So the, the fir- one without the ring. The one without the ring, and then the one with the ring. Right. So the one without the ring was when I was on a plane, uh, and I FaceTimed you, and I said, "Hey, I've got this." After how many weeks it was, like two and a half weeks, two and a half three, weeks, three weeks, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and I and I said, "Hey, I've got this crazy question for you. I don't know how you feel about this, but." I mean, this is such a 21st century, by the way, engagement, like such, <laughs> such a 2019 engagement. FaceTime. Face, FaceTime, right? Yeah. <laughs> FaceTime on a BA flight. And I said, I don't really know how you feel about this, but um, I love you. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. And will you marry me? And I think you were so stunned by this, like, what? Uh, uh, that you just said yes without even, like, considering the answer. <laughs> I, I remember just holding my phone and I, like, pulled my car over. Yeah, I was, you were in your I car. Was in I was in Florida. I literally remember where you were. You were just, like, staring. And, I, and, uh, and, it was, and then you said yes. And I was just like, wow, that was uh, surprisingly easy. Right. And, you, and what you said particularly was, I... I I want to ask you something in case this plane mm. goes down. I mean, just oh, sorry, to add the, a little that's drama. That's the best line. Sorry, I forgot right. the best line. The yeah. best line was, the best line was, uh, yeah, in case this plane crashes. <laughs> and I then went on like a, a flight where there was no Wi-Fi. So Candice is then of freaking out for the next like, you know, how many hours? <laughs> now what if the plane actually crashes? Yeah, I know, exactly. Um, but obviously you did not give me a ring then because you were headed to South Africa for yeah. about 10 days on holiday. Correct, correct. Um, and then when he actually gave me the ring, which he did get down on one knee, it was a couple of weeks later. Well, that was actually on the 14th of February, just to be really cliche. Yeah, just course. to be super cliche. Um, and that was at a restaurant in Philadelphia where you were living at the time. And we went for a Valentine's Day, Valentine's evening date, as you do. I mean, it was, it was that restaurant, I will never forget that. <laughs> that was hilarious. We walked in there and every single table was couples. I mean, there was not a single table in that restaurant, which was not a couple. Typical Valentine's Day. Yeah, of day. course, of course. And then, and then what happened, you know, halfway, th- I mean, it's, as a guy, by the way, I mean, I will say that there's quite an, it's quite an interesting dynamic when you're about to get down on one knee. I mean, I've obviously only done it once. And so it's, it was, it was a, uh, it was quite an experience, I'd say. I, you get incredibly nervous. You then have to think about the logistics of getting down on one knee, <laughs> such as like, how close is the table beside you? Are you going to crash into the table beside you to get down on one knee? Which side do you go on to get down on one knee? First of all, this is uh, all the questions you have to ask. Not only that, but it, I don't know whether you remember this, but it, we brought, it was bring your own bottle, right, to the restaurant, right? And we had the two bottles of wine that we were going to drink at dinner on the right. And the right side was much, much more kind of accessible to get down. So I had to kind of shift them with my feet sort of under the table across to the other side, <laughs> right, so that I could clear enough space. And then I kind of shifted my chair over. And then eventually, and then I got very nervous. And then you thought I was laughing at you because I started laughing. You started laughing. I started yeah. laughing and then just I was broke just, out in yeah. laughter. And then, and, I I kept, was... and then you were like, do you have something on my face? Like, what's wrong? Yeah. Like, I was looking for the inside joke. Like, I was looking exactly. around. You were like, later. is there something above me on my head yeah. and all this kind of stuff? And then I, and then I kind of like awkwardly crashed onto one you knee. Did. Yeah. And then, and then I was just, and then opened up the box and said, Candace Amberance, will you marry me? And at which point you froze and then the ripple effect, again, something that you're only probably going to experience once in your life is, well, certainly for me, only once in my life, the ripple effect of asking that question around the restaurant was incredible. I know. It was unbelievable. It's like it was winning, like, like we won the Super Bowl. It was like winning a Super Bowl. It was yeah. like a bomb had gone off. I don't know what it was. It was just like all these other couples exploded. Exactly. Yeah, they exploded. Yeah, they just exploded. The, right. two, the two couples on either side went mad. And then as soon as they found out, then the other couples found out. And then <laughs> yeah. before we knew it, half the restaurant and everyone was cheering and yeah. hollering and it was incredible. They instantly become your best friends. Yeah, I know. It was awesome. Yeah, it, it was. was really awesome. And then everyone comes up to us and is like, oh, congratulations. And the girls are like, let me see the ring. Hint, hint to the boyfriends yes, that exactly. they're with I, at the restaurant. I think we made the point that everyone else's dinner had probably been ruined. Every right. other guy's <laughs> dinner had probably been ruined because of the fact that I had proposed. And yeah. was Suddenly the conversations got a lot more serious yes, around exactly. us, they were right? Just like, what are we doing? Yes, exactly. It's been four years. It's been four years. These yeah. guys have just met. Right. <laughs> That's so true. Um, so another question that people want to know is what did you do? Where did you come from? Um, and I guess what were you... Well, how did you get into politics? You were there that night because Charlie Kirk and I were on stage having a conversation ranting against uh, sort of the spread of socialism and Marxism. So what is yeah. your story? Where are you from? <laughs> well, I was born in London. Um, I'm 28 years old and I grew up here. I grew up in London and I went to school in, I basically spent, up until I was 18, I spent my entire life in London. And then I went to university and I went to University of Oxford. 
and I graduated Oxford in 2011. What did uh, you major in? When we say major, you guys just say, what did you study? What did you study? I yeah. studied theology, religious studies, basically. Um, and I specialized in the ancient church and did classical Hebrew and studied a variety of different things. I mean, in the UK, the university system, just as a side point, is quite different to the US. You, you guys, I believe, spend two years sort of doing lots of different things and then you you major for the last two years. I think right, that's, that's broad, how it is, yeah. broadly how you work, right? And so in the UK, it's you don't, you from age 15, you spend the next four years at school, next three years at school, uh, deciding what you're gonna study at university, um, in essence. And you narrow down the subjects until you eventually pick one. And then you go to university, you study that for the next three years, or in the case of medicine, seven years, in the case of law and other degrees, sometimes longer, sometimes, well, no, never shorter than three years. And so I studied theology and then I graduated from Oxford in 2011 and I uh, went into banking. I worked at an investment bank in London for about a year and a half. And then I left that and I work, I have done for the last seven years work with my father and he and I have run a hedge fund, although it's, it's quite an unusual fund in as much as it's a base, it trades base metals and it trades which is in the commodity sector and it's unusual because most hedge funds are uh, involved with kind of macro long short strategies i won't bore everyone with technical finance terms but basically lots of kind of different portfolios bonds equities everything we were a very specialist fund we just dealt in metals we just deal in base metals and we've we've always kind of specialized in that uh that's what we've done that's what i've done for the last seven years and then um the politics side of things so the Politics has always kind of been a very big part of my family life, I guess, um, in some ways. I mean, my family, as you know, are quite a uh, political family in some ways. They, we all have very different opinions. We're all a broad range of opinions within, within the family. And so from a very young age, we were all exposed to a fair amount of argument, for want of a better term. So you, you know, from age eight, we were talking about kind of who the next prime minister would be and what would that how that affect the country and so from a, so from a young age I was kind of immersed in this political culture and that got me very interested and then as a result I sort of joined various politics societies when I was at school and got involved with politics at Oxford and then and then my father uh he sits in the house of lords he is a conservative uh he he held he holds the conservative whip which in the UK means that he is answerable to some extent to the Conservative Party, right? And so he was treasurer of the Conservative Party as well. And that kind of, that involvement with politics over here got me more exposed. And it's always been something I've been very interested in anyway. So I didn't need encouragement. So I kind of went in with an open mind to sort of see a lot of different Conservative politicians, which side of the party I would fall on, uh, develop my political philosophy. And sort of in the last few years, certainly since Brexit and before the Brexit referendum, but really the Brexit referendum in the UK kind of clarified a lot of people's, where they fell on the spectrum, a lot of people's political thoughts. Um, so after that, I kind of ramped up my political involvement, I would say. So I've been kind of more exposed to politics since 2016. Um, obviously, the election of the president, Donald Trump, got kind of that has a ripple effect around the world. I mean, it does. Yeah, you, you guys, you guys, I mean, like just sort of like the broader UK community seem really interested in what's going on in America. And I would say that's true of all of Europe. People seem to be very fascinated yeah. or all the world fascinated yeah. with what's going on with Donald Trump. So I guess as somebody uh, that grew up here in, in London, yeah. what 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 is the interest? What is the draw? What is what is it about Donald Trump that is sort of stirring up all of these conversations? Well, what happens in America has direct impact around the rest of the world. I mean, it's the leader of the free world. It's the most powerful country on earth. It's got the largest economy, the largest military. I mean, by many objective measures, America is the greatest country in the world on many times over. So are you using me for American citizenship? Yeah. Okay. That's right. Yeah, I just wanted to get that out of the way. No, just to be clear, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's it's it, what happens in America has a direct ripple effect. I mean, there, there's there's an expression, well, it's more a political mantra that what happens on university campuses in America will five years later happen on university campuses in Britain. Okay. And so, and that's just a broader term really to encapsulate the fact that what goes on in America will eventually end up in Europe, will eventually end up influencing the world, will eventually end up being a political 
argument in both Britain, in France, in Germany, in Southern Europe, etc. So the world has to be conscious of what's going on in America. You cannot you cannot divorce geopolitics from America. It's 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 crucial, and so therefore the presidency of America has huge impacts on what goes on in Britain. Now, do you think that that is just because of the size of America? I think it's because- Or just, it's, it's a combination of the economic factor, the size of America, the influence, I guess, we're kind of very culturally- There's, I mean, there's a huge number of factors which play into that. I mean, it's both the history of the countries. I mean, Britain and America have a very special relationship anyway. I mean, the Anglo-American bond is, is very close. We speak the same language. We've fought beside each other in the same wars. We- share a common philosophy on life. We share a common outlook on capitalism. I mean, Anglo-American capitalism is very different to Franco-German statism, right? It's, it's, it's just the mentality. In many ways, it's to do with language. It's, to do, it's, it's also to do with the fact that, of course, America was born out of Britain in many ways. You know, the, the, the War of Independence, the Revolutionary War, as you call you know, was, was a war against Britain, and that's part of our history as well. Um, and then you're tied into a bigger English-speaking world. So you've got England, you've got well, you've got Britain, you've got South Africa, you've got Australia, you've got New Zealand, you've got America. These these countries are united by a common language. And when we talk about the West, we don't just talk about we're not just talking about the West countries literally in the Western Hemisphere. We're talking about a political philosophy which unites Australia as well. You know, which is not in the West, or arguably it depends, of course, where you drop the pin in the globe. But let's just call it let's just call it not the West, it's normally considered part of the East, right? So it's the political philosophy of the West is very much uh, centered around the Anglosphere. It's centered around what Britain and America and the Western nations are doing. And America, as the most powerful nation out of all of them, sets the tone for a lot of what will follow in, in, in Western Europe and, and the kind of broader sphere of the West. So what goes on with the American presidency always has an impact in Britain. It, 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 we're as just as interested, well, we're not just as interested in it as our politics, but it certainly is a key part of, of our sort of political worldview. What the presidency is doing in America and how America is reacting to certain trends and developments will always be a crucial part. I mean, take an example, like for example, the Iraq war, right? I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a key one because, you know, it was the president under the president George Bush that you went, well, that America went into Iraq and, America summoned its closest allies to follow them into the coalition, right? Correct. So therefore, Britain was drawn into that conflict as well. So it's kind of like what you do is not symbiotic, but we have a we have a relationship which is very close. So therefore, we have to know how America is thinking because it affects us directly. Uh, I mean, there was a there was somebody who quite entertainingly wrote an article after the um, Britain's just ordered some new aircraft carriers, right? And and and. America, I believe, has 10 aircraft carriers and the UK has two aircraft carriers, right? And somebody wrote, somebody wrote an article basically saying it's completely irrelevant. You might as well just say we both have 12, right? Because, <laughs> because it's, that's, that's, how, that's how they think of it. The military development, the military cooperation is so close, right? The security cooperation is so close, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, that's why, I guess, the election of Trump kind of then further polarized an already polarized society. Uh, I mean... You've, we've spoken many times about Brexit and Trump. The, I think the debates are very similar on both sides of the Atlantic. You know, you can draw direct parallels. Um, right, and I think that's why Nigel, in many ways, is, has gone so far here with Brexit. And it's the one thing that I will say that I really noticed differently about our two cultures, which is actually one of the questions that someone asked, but is just, uh, you guys don't say what you mean here. Like if there's this British way of talking around everything and not really saying what you mean and sort of being American can be uh, very offensible when you just come out and, and we just sort of say it. And and that's not, I mean, on one level it's can nice. Can you just clarify that? Right, 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 exactly. On one level it's nice and I think that you guys are trying to be polite. But when me and Charlie were speaking at the universities, I actually saw a lot of danger in terms of the way that you guys don't have free speech here. Or, or maybe you, you just you guys are just not even willing to have free speech here and certain mm -hmm. things are considered sort of improper to talk about, right? And you're mm -hmm. kind of con considered mm -hmm. inflammatory if you talk mm -hmm. about things that are mm -hmm. actually happening mm -hmm. here, right? And so talking to a lot of the journalists, there's this really weird culture of not saying what you mean or pretending that you don't see what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I, it, there was an article which I, there was an interview I did with um, 
publication in London, I think, earlier on this year, and they, they described my Twitter feed as inflammatory. And really, I don't really think of it as inflammatory. I just think of it as stating the obvious. The truth. Exactly. And I think you're probably talking to the wrong Brit about this because I tend to be quite blunt about things and I tend to be pretty uh, straightforward. But yeah, there is a culture of politeness over here where you, where it's it's just not British to to say some to say certain things or it's or at least look the the avoidance of conflict is a key part of the British psyche. Here's the thing, I think you have to differentiate the difference between calling being polite and being politically correct. So you can be polite, right? If you walk in and you see somebody that's really obese, it's not necessarily to be like, "Hey, you're fat." Right. That's I mean, that's just like that's just impolite. Right. But the difference is political correctness is almost ignoring the truth. Right. So politically correct, which is like when we when we did that interview with The London Times um, and I was sort of talking about the things that really matter that you should be talking about, at least here in Europe, which is the migrant crisis, which we're seeing what Germany is going through. We're seeing what Sweden is going through. And the journalist looked at me like I had 10 heads and it was just sort of like we don't talk about the migrant crisis here. That's political correctness, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, Where that's yeah. that's actually, you're, you're treading a different territory and it's something that could ultimately be dangerous. Yeah, I think, I mean, look, uh, yeah, you're completely right. But at the end, the truth will out uh, is, a, is an old adage, which I think is is relevant. I mean, you've, you've got, in the same way that America, I think America probably suffers from a similar, there is, there is a similar disease in America. Certainly on the university level. But there's also an inability to, I mean, for example, like look at your politics, right? It, it, it got to a stage where you were, the Republicans were fielding these really nice guys, right? I mean, Mitt Romney was a really nice guy. Like most people, I, look, I don't know him personally, but I, I'm told, and certainly by the way he interviews, he was a very nice guy, right? And he got crushed, right? You know, and it, it took somebody with the bravado and the um, sort of bombacity of like, of Donald Trump to come in and shake up the political system and say, hey guys, Stop being so nice about this. We've got to. We've got to. We've got to fight back. And right. I think in the same way, the UK, we're reaching that point where we're just like we're fielding very nice people. You know, it's like oh, everyone's terribly nice, right? Now, Nigel Farage comes in and says, "Wake up, right? You, we've got to stop being nice about the European Union. It's it's crushing our nation, right?" And and he comes in and he shakes up the entire political system. Right. There, there is a point at which look. The ultimate weapon that everybody in a democratic nation has is the ballot box, right? In the UK, we don't have the same gun laws. We, we're not going to, you know, we, we cannot resist government control, but we can fight it through the ballot box, right? And that eventually, at the end of the day, the one X in, that, in, the, in the voting ballot, ballot slip is what we have as a weapon. Right, I think... And that's what all democratic people have. And therefore, as a result, you have to fight back with democracy. Right. I think sometimes people can be surprised by what they deem to be these ideological revolutions taking place. Here it's Brexit. In America, it's Donald Trump. In Brazil, it's Bolsonaro. In Italy, it's Salvini. But yeah. I think when you start to breed a culture of political correctness, there's always going to be something that bubbles beneath the surface. Because like you said, yeah. you cannot talk about the truth. You can go around yeah, the truth. Absolutely. But at the end of the day, there it is. Yeah. And it starts to sort of swirl like, you know, like a, like a hurricane on the map yeah, yeah, yeah. that's just waiting to hit. Yeah. And then people go, well, where did this come from? Where did this come from? Things were going well. Well, they weren't going well. You were pretending mm. things were going well. You were pretending that the world was getting better uh, and you were too afraid to discuss the truth. And that's how you get these people that are completely like dazed and confused when Trump wins. And they, I mean, you obviously you and I watch clips the whole time of the night Trump won because if you're ever in a bad mood, you really should pull up the clips of CNN. He will never be president <laughs> of the United States of America. CNN. It's the best video ever. <laughs> it's such a good video. I love that he even tweets it because it's so good that there's yeah, no yeah. way he doesn't put him in, fact, in a good mood. He tweeted it the other day when he was just like the clip of uh, the Simpsons where he's president and then like right. and then it clips to somebody being like he's never going to be president right I mean and, and it was exceptional and it just shows yeah. you that people become so deluded by political correctness that they yeah. become completely out of touch with what's happening yeah. in their own nation how the people are feeling yeah. um, and that's sort of how you arrive where we are all right I'm going to get to some of these questions okay that were sent to us through Instagram that people want to know about our relationship. Okay, number one, what is your biggest cultural difference? <laughs> um, <clears throat> tomato? Tomato? I don't know. No. <laughs> There's a lot of them. There are Okay, you guys have told, I mean, listen, I, you guys have different names for vegetables. Why don't you guys drink any tea? I don't get this. this I think it's because you taxed it. What, what is the, what's so the we, problem with So we ended tea? up throwing it. Bizarre. Yeah, we're, like, we're okay with coffee now. After you taxed it, we wanted nothing drink. to no, do I'm with it. I love coffee. I'm drinking it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What is, I don't the biggest cultural difference between us. And people, I mean, people tend to think that there's 
this there ditch between our cultures, but there's not there. that many. I wouldn't say there's like, yeah. I, I, I mean, I think, I think actually it would be, and I wouldn't put you in this realm, but what I just talked about, which yeah, is the political gonna, correctness. I was actually going to almost say exactly yeah, that. Yeah, I think uh, that people there are so a, polite here. There is a difference, yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I think that probably is it. I mean, just the, the way the British psyche works, like I noticed in America. You're a bit like that. You do, you do have your moments well, of where course, you're like. Yeah, I mean, I, I was brought up here and, you know, right. it's, it, 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 it's imparted onto you. You know, you, you, you reserve judgment. You, you kind of hold yourself back. I mean, I, I would say I'm, I'm in a kind of hybrid gray zone between America and Britain in many ways because I sort of, I do speak my mind quite openly and I will tell somebody if I think they're just talking rubbish. But it's, but still I sort of have that like. Yeah, you, know, you do. And I'm just the exact yeah. opposite. Yeah, you couldn't Where care I'm less. like, let's yeah, just yeah, say yeah, everything. You, you couldn't care less. Then, I mean, it's hilarious you know. sometimes. I mean, the poor airline stewards who sometimes have to put up with, you know. I know, I know. <laughs> I, I kind of I go right into it. Okay. What is your favorite thing about each other? Oh, that's such a difficult question. So there's a lot of things. Okay. Um, I mean, I wouldn't say it's my favorite. There's a lot of things I like about you, but I'm really into, I would say, the hunting stuff. Ah. I was very into this. Ah. So when I first met you, I didn't really, I didn't know I was super ignorant about hunters and ah. hunting in Africa and shooting birds and stuff. And mm -hmm. I come from really kind of a very ignorant climate. I mean, I'm from the coast. I'm, I grew up in Connecticut. There's not exactly people that go out hunting too much in, in this great state of Connecticut. Um, but I, I knew there was an argument to be made for hunters. I still cringe. I have to be honest a little bit when I see someone like the trophy pictures of like a, a lion, but then when you started discussing, because you spend a lot of time in Africa, which is an interesting, interesting yep. tidbit about you. You grew up kind of, yeah, going back and forth from Africa. Yes, yeah, it's, it's part. Of, it's been part of my life since I was six years old. I would right, say. and now I'm totally fascinated about hunting. And you could do an entire separate episode <laughs> do, yeah. on hunting, mm. and you telling me the stories about hunting and almost dying and all of these things it makes me realize how Americans are just completely so out of touch with nature and out of touch with the environment that we then create these social causes that nobody understands. Which is the truth, being that. If you want to conserve, if, if you're interested in conservation, yeah, yeah. Uh, then you would be the people that conserve the most are the people that go over to Africa and hunt. Yeah. And they are also saving mm -hmm. human lives because there are these animals that are marked because they've just tore apart an entire village. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. And then they're kind of marked to go hunt. And we kind of had this whole Cecil the lion yeah, fever here. Yeah, I mean, the number of tri uh, look, I mean, okay, there's, there's several things you said about hunting. I mean, as, as you rightly say, you could do an entire episode on this, but but briefly, what the 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 nations where you hunt right in Af in 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 Africa and across the world it's not just Africa by the way I mean you know you know I've been hunting in Eastern Europe and and further afield as well there is a direct the uh, sustainability of the livelihoods of those who are involved in hunting is dependent upon the 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 hunted animal right so if you're if you're going to hunt wolves in Eastern Europe or you're going to go and hunt kudu or whatever or antelope or or big game in, in Southern Africa, there is a direct vested economic interest in that nation, right, to keep the lively, the livestock alive, right? Because they, because they suddenly go, well, hang on a sec, we can charge people a fortune to come in and hunt these animals. So therefore, we need to make sure we have these animals, right? It's just a very, it's a very basic economic equation. So the countries where you go and hunt in Southern Africa, so let's just take Zambia, for example, because I've been hunting a fair bit in Zambia. Um, the Zambian government divvies up a quota for every single animal that they have in Zambia, and they assign quotas to each different hunting lodge. Now, what that means is that each hunting park and hunting lodge has a direct interest in getting, in keeping those animals alive and breeding them for the next generation, right? So therefore, you can go off to Zambia and you can hunt whatever you want to hunt, right? And the, the game park will be will have anti-poaching squads it will have villages which are villagers which are employed on the hunting lodges it will have chefs it will have drivers it will have people who work at the airport nearby etc etc so the whole sustainability of the local community is actually based on a hunting park right so therefore the country has a direct in interest in conservation right it, often in countries where they ban hunting or in areas where they ban hunting the live the livestock populations take a dramatic decline because either the locals will go and kill them because they're a pain right so like you've got loads of lions around you well they're a pain so let's go and kill them or b 
the poachers will come and hunt them. And that's and that's where it gets bad. And I think in America, particularly, they conflate the idea of a poacher with the idea of a hunter. Yeah, exactly. It's totally, totally different. I mean, like hunting. I mean, you're paying. You're, it's an expensive sport. Um, you're pay, You're often paying quite a lot of money to go into a country. I mean, first of all, you've got to get there. That's expensive. You've got to then go and buy a hunting license. That's expensive. You've got to go and pay for your quota. That's expensive. So you're. You're. And all that money is going to the country, right? So you're not. You're, you're not paying it to some person back home, you're paying it to the Zambian government, you're paying it to the local safari park, right? So that that's all part of the economic equation, right? The poachers come in, they're normally employed by crime syndicates run out of run out of the Far East, um, particularly in Southeast Asia, where things like elephant tusks and rhino horns ha- are considered to have aphrodisiac pro- pro- uh, qualities. So they'll be run out of crime syndicates, there's no money coming into the country, they'll employ a local, they'll give them the equivalent of a year's wages, which in that part of the world is often peanuts, right? And then they'll go out, they'll take extreme risk, two or three of them, they'll kill anybody who gets in their way to get to the animal, and then they'll shoot the animal. They'll shoot the animal, chop off a part of its body, and then just leave the carcass, right? That's poaching. Poaching is extremely evil. And there's, you know, I mean, that's why the governments of Southern Africa take huge anti-poaching measures, because it devastates local populations. And it's it's hugely damaging for the local local communities. So there's no, there's no way. You, I mean, I completely agree with you. It's often conflated that basically going off and hunting big game is like uh, you know, equivalent to poaching, which is just not. And there's no, there's no comparison between the two. Um, now, of course, the whole point is sustainability. So that's why you have a quota system where like you can't go off and just you know you can't just like machine gun down a whole load of animals because you feel like it. You know, you go off and hunt one animal for a week. That will be it, right? Um, and then, and, oftentimes, you're feeding the village. Yeah, of course. Well, I, yeah, hunt. I mean, like the, I mean, uh, the times that I've been hunting. I mean, I, I've, I, I've stuck to antelopes pretty much. Um, and so, you know, when when you when you shot an antelope in, in that part of the world, the the meat is all chopped up and given to the local village. Right. And I mean, that, that's that's just what's done. Um, and that's feeding the local community as well. I mean, there's a there's a direct correlation. And it, it and you know, the, the the other testimony is also I always find it funny that. Western liberals are the people who get the most aggravated about this, but the local populations of the Southern African nations love it when you come down. You know, I mean, they're they're the most excited. So it's it's like again, it's these it's this kind overprivileged. of overprivileged, like, yeah, overprivileged yeah. people who live in London, New York, and Los Angeles who ch- who tend to be like, how dare you do this right. without really any comprehension of what's actually going on in the real world. What I like the most is that they they also pretend that the animals are super innocent. Like these, like if the animals saw you, Absolutely. all it wants to do is yeah, be yeah, your yeah. friend. I mean, they're oh, so yeah. out of touch with reality right. and the way people are living overseas. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've only been to Africa once and I went to Uganda um, and there's, you know, the wildlife, there's there's certain hours of the day where I stayed where you're not allowed to walk outside because the animals are vicious. Hippopotamuses, I mean, their recall of all of these animals is like Lion King, right? Correct. So like, but everybody was so nice on Lion King and now we have people going and hunting them. Um, and it's like these animals, if given the opportunity, will charge you and kill you. And the hippos were beautiful where I saw them in Uganda. They were on a little circle. Um, and so they, they had these chairs so we could go near them and behind them, all of the African men we're staying behind there with guns. And they said, do you know how fast the hippo will kill you? It's one yeah. of the most vicious animals in yeah. the wild. Yeah. It will charge you. It will kill you. And they have a very high death toll of Africans. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like they put they, they are prioritizing um, the animals in Africa over the Africans. Yeah. But unless they need to adopt a child, yeah, then yeah. they go right to Africa. Well, you say that. I mean, that, that's, <laughs> by the way, that's, that's, that is actually how a lot of them think. I mean, I, certain, I mean, certainly I know I've come across a couple of wildlife photographers who would prioritize an animal's life over a human's life. Right. Um, I could see that. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's, it's certainly not impossible. And I think the other, I mean, the other, the irony being, going back to your point about the animals being terribly nice, there was actually a, a very funny video made, I think by a hunter actually, after that Cecil the Lyle, Cecil the Lion thing sort of um, came out, where they were, it was nuts where, they, where they were doing a documentary um, on the sort of fake recording the lives of the antelope that Cecil the lion had killed. And, and sort of being like, <laughs> being like, you know, like Desuto uh, De is distraught at the fact that her husband has just been eaten by Cecil the lion. You know, and it's, it's one of these things where like, do you ever, do you ever, do you ever impact? I mean, we actually saw this the other day. In fact, actually, this is brought up in memory. There was a, there was a vegan couple who yeah. tried to save the life of a wildebeest as it was being attacked by a lioness, <laughs> right? And consequently, we were both put in critical condition by the lioness, who was like, "Get off my, get off my dinner! 
right? It's my dinner. And this is the, this is the mentality that, 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 that occupies them. They're like, they're like, we must preserve the animal kingdom, forgetting that the animal kingdom is the most vicious, it's the most brutal. It's only humans who have learned to live in peace with one another, right? Right. And I mean, that's part of the, I mean, there was also, an, I mean, feeding into the same conversation is like pets, pets who have come out and said, if you feed your dog and cat, vegan meals it is animal abuse because they require protein right and this was a very interesting conversation which was had over here vegans over here were feeding their pets vegan meals right, right? and the, and the vets were like we're, we're, we're sick to death of you coming in with with all these with all these sicknesses amongst your pets because you're choosing to you're choosing to subject your life choices onto somebody onto something else which has no decision making process of its own you know, if you've got a domestic cat and you're feeding it a vegan meal you can't then the cat can't just go out and kill something because if it's a domestic cat it stays inside right so you you're subjecting it to your life choices whereas a child can grow up and say mm, i'm not really so keen on being a vegan i'm going to go and eat meat the cat has no option right. so again it's, it's it's the same kind of like west sort of liberal mentality has come completely taken over people's brains and right. said like and there's pockets of liberalism i think it like you just said where they actually take place it's new york it's california they are so out of touch with nature they're yeah. out of touch with the wild they're out of touch with the idea of survival instinct that they all could use just a free trip to africa yeah. and say hey you know what go up to the lions uh you know pet them talk to them about their feelings exactly. and see what happens exactly. and you hear these stories over and over again yeah. i mean it, it's insane I, I just don't understand how people could uh you know could could kill an animal for its skin or, or kill an animal for for its boots or whatever it is all right well then you go talk to the crocodile about how you're saving often, um you know I mean, I making sure nobody uses its skin and let me know how it goes i often say that the, the western liberalism could be cured by a trip to africa because i think it's it, regardless of your debate whether or not it's to do with the animal world or whether it's to do with whatever it might be to do with you you, you let's put it like this they're not having a debate about which bathroom to use in <laughs> Africa, right? Because at the moment it's about survival, right? We're so overprivileged. We it's are. Just, we're, oh, that's it's the problem. remarkable, right? And we talk about this a lot, the idea of over-civilization, where your society yeah. can become so civilized that it starts going backwards and, it, and you start treading just towards stupidity. Yeah, exactly. Like, like where you're just debating bathroom signs, right? You're, yeah, you are yeah, way yeah, too absolutely. privileged, way too civilized. Absolutely. If we are even talking about bathroom signs, I mean, go to Africa, and this is like one of you and I, we're really big into just watching clips on the internet and just crying. <laughs> up for hours the best clip i mean the one that just never gets old is, is this african uh reporter who's breaking a story and interviewing someone because they cannot grasp the concept of oh, being yeah. gay or being a lesbian oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and That's and brilliant. yeah i mean and the interviewer is you know welcome here to the show and he's got this woman who's a lesbian he's got a, he's got a, man, he's got yeah. a guy who's gay big, right? yeah, 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 yeah. A, or a girl or something I she's a girl and she's yeah. a lesbian and and he and he just turns around to her and his question in this uh, this african voice is just why are you gay yeah why are you gay right. exactly and it's just like and the guy's like who says i'm gay and he yeah. goes you're gay yeah it's, uh, it, it, that's it it's the supposition yeah exactly and i mean that that we something we've talked about a lot i think over yeah you're absolutely right the word over civilization is a great word i mean i've been to uh, in even the far east as well i mean like i i've mentioned before you know that i've been to I went to wolf hunting. Well, like, but even so, like, I went to, I went to, this is going to make me sound like really sort of edgy and trendy. I'm not, don't worry, as you well know. But, um, but I went to Bhutan, uh, which is this kingdom in the middle of the Himalayas. It's the last Himalayan kingdom. And, um, it's a Buddhist kingdom. It's basically sealed off to the world. It's very difficult to get into. And they perform a, uh, they are part of a Buddhist, uh, theology, which involves a tantric Buddhism, which is a form of sexual Buddhism. And, um, this was about, this was about six years ago, I think it was seven years ago. And I said to them, you know, I said, well, what's the kind of feeling about the gay rights movement in, in this part of the world? And they looked at me as if I was an alien. They had never even heard of this. And I said, well, you know, the relationships between men and relationships between women. And they just said, well, yeah, he's my friend, you know, I mean, I, like, <laughs> please explain kind of thing. And I, I, it was just bizarre because it, it was, it was a case where we've got to, we've got to a point in the Western world where the debates become self-fulfilling. We, we start talking about these issues, they become issues, the issues develop their own issues, right. and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, and there's I mean, no stop to it. Just no like, stop, where are we, exactly. when are you ever going to be solved? We're just spiraling toward so much, so much confusion and yeah, anger and yeah. angst and emotion. Um, and, and you travel to any of these countries. And, and that's the thing I say about Americans. When you see these Americans that, that are the craziest, the most leftist, mm. ask them how many countries they've been to outside of America. Mm. It's always, oh, I've been to Mexico. 
Yeah. I'm spring break, you know. Like, I mean, or like they did a, a, you know, I did a semester abroad sure. in in the UK, you know, somewhere where they're not really getting this yeah. understanding of how the rest of the world is, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And I'm like, have you been to China? Yeah, uh, have yeah. you been to even Eastern Europe? I mean, it's yeah. it's a totally different thing when you're in Croatia, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, it's and and they're not well traveled. And I think mm. that that's one of the things that I was afforded um, in my twenties that I was able to travel and and really see the world. And it just it kind of made me more realistic mm. about the non-problems that we have in Western civilization. We're the most dissatisfied people and the most overprivileged people. How is that possible? Look, if you, if, if you live in Siberia, you're not going to have the choice as to whether or not you be a vegan and pick your gender. Right. Let's put it like that. Right. right? You know, <laughs> I mean, you're just not going to have that choice. The, the decisions that we're making in the Western world today are a result of the luxury of the, of the, of the sacrifice made by the men and women who died in the Second World War and the First World War and ushered in the greatest era of peace that the Western world has ever seen. It's total luxury. We have These are luxurious choices we're making. In an affluent, overprivileged society, you, you get to make these choices. If you're struggling to survive, you do not get to make these choices. There's a quote that works something, I, I, I can't think of it off the top of my head, but it's basically a saying that tough times produces, you know, yeah. tough men yeah. and peaceful times produces weak men. Yeah, yeah. And we're now suffering from what yeah. I talk I talk yeah. about, which is a shortage of masculinity, you know, as there really is a shortage of, shortage of masculinity and you have people that are crying and looking for ways to be upset. Okay. Okay. Where are we going to live, the US or the UK? Splitting time between the two, I think, is a fair, fair assessment. Yes, until children. Until children, then we'll make up our minds. Right. It depends on where the school systems are at in, in yeah, each environment. Exactly. And right now, they're both looking like a disaster. So maybe Russia. Um, <laughs> maybe Africa. Russian collusion. Right. right. Maybe Africa. <laughs> yeah, right? maybe Africa. There we go. Um, what has su surprised you the most about being in an interracial relationship? Oh, wow. That's quite an That's a good question. That's a good question. Well done, whoever asked that question. Um <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know really. I mean, what, do, what what what's your answer there? I mean, I wouldn't. I mean, I could say, I wouldn't say this has necessarily surprised me. It's just it's so predictable because it's sort of like the space that we're in. Yeah. But that the leftists, the liberals, the yeah. most racist stuff that we get yeah. under the comments yeah. are the liberals, which is like, oh great, you're marrying a white man. You're marrying a white guy. And I'm just like, <laughs> what would you have that we go backwards into when it was miscegenation and it was an actual crime yeah. to get married if, if you fell in love with the opposite with the opposite race in America? It was an actual crime and it was a rule. And it just sort of feeds what we talk about all the time, which is that the left is so woke, they're backwards, yeah. right? Which is like, they want to bring back segregation. Yeah, they want to yeah. bring back miscegenation. So progressive, they're aggressive. Yeah, so That's progressive. Yes, they were aggressive. Right, talk about yeah, this exactly. the whole time. Yeah, so yeah. I wouldn't say I was surprised by it, but it, you know, just I, I'm always surprised by their lack of awareness. I would say. I'll tell you what I've enjoyed more than surprised me: ebonics. Oh yeah. The, yes. the the understanding of ebonics <laughs> in the US. I, this was not even. A, I, I wasn't even aware this was a thing. I mean, <laughs> this is also a cultural thing as well. I think because I'm not sure it's, it applies. I, it doesn't. No, it doesn't I mean, it, no, it is. It's it, it's a it's a black thing in America where we've sort of invented our own language. I didn't even realize how fluent I was in ebonics. You are completely until, fluent. I know when you and I. Well, because I, I obviously I grew up in a black household, so it's just the way I, I, I you know the way my cousins talk currently. And um, so George and I will be like walking down the street, and a, a black lady. Will walk by and be like, well, okay. And George will look confused. I and I'm like, like, oh, I was like, oh, she's, she's saying that I look really nice. And he was like, yeah. what? And yeah, I was, what like, was that's it? it. Yeah. And we were sitting okay. outside the other day. And what was it? What, there was, there was a, black, a, a, black. a black woman who walked past and she was like, how do you do? Or something like that. It was, it was something weird. And she was like, oh, basically, I see you. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, 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 exactly. And yeah. I was just like, and I, was I, just, I can see you. I can see you as well. I don't understand. What are you saying? Very bizarre conversation we're having here. And then I was explaining that apparently this is like, yeah, this is just, the language. It's where, a language. Yeah, black people I, I have created their own language. Before. And I didn't even realize it until it's, it's sort of like going, <laughs> just being forced to speak the language that you understand. And yeah. I was like, oh, wait, this is fluently ebonics. Yeah, and I see you and, well, okay, doesn't really make sense. Yeah, exactly. It made absolutely no sense. To yeah, me, and so. it's exactly how I speak to my, whenever I'm on the phone FaceTime with my cousins, I speak fluent ebonics. You uh, do. Yeah, I do. You do, completely. Yeah, That's a remarkable me, yeah. thing. Yeah. I mean, you, you talk complete nonsense. Yeah. But I mean, like, you know, it's, 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 it's <laughs> but you speak in this language of like, yeah. I'm, st I, I, that's why I sort of wander around the house doing other things when yeah. you're doing it, because I have no idea what you're saying. I have no idea what, no idea what her and her cousin are talking about. Exactly. That's, yeah, that's really funny, actually. Um, what has, we've already talked about, cult okay, what has surprised you most cult culturally about the American culture? Uh-oh, here we go. Yeah. I know what it is. 
you were most surprised by how long the CVS receipts were. I have to admit, the CVS you, receipts they shocked were you. shocking. I can't, I didn't even know there was a thing. I mean, I remember exactly the first, I remember the first time I got a CVS receipt. It was remarkable. We were in Richmond, Virginia, and it was the morning of the Richmond Blexit rally. And we had to pop out to get some Claritin or it's something. It's usually one item. Yeah, it was usually well, it was one item we had to go and get, which was remarkable. <laughs> and we go to a CVS store and and we walk out. And I'm not joking when I say, how have the environmentalists not picked up <laughs> on this yet? How is this still the cracks? This is like, a, it's it's taller than me. Yeah. It's taller than me for one item. This yeah. is incredible. So for the people that live overseas, we, we have our pharmacy, which is, I guess, equivalent if you're in the UK to Boots. Um, and for whatever reason, they just started turning out these receipts where you buy one item and you get a, a receipt. And I'm not kidding. It'll be six six feet tall. It's, it's, we took a picture. It was taller than me. It was taller than you. Taller How than tall are you? I'm six foot two. Six foot two. So it was taller than him. And he just could not, I mean, for the entire day. It. I was just baffled. He was just like, I don't understand. Thing. What is this? Exactly. <laughs> it's a receipt and it was just. I mean, that's just one of the things. I mean, look, I, I, look, you know that I love America. Right. Um, and I think America is an incredible country and I love it. Uh, I love everything about it. Um, I love the brashness. I love the, I love the American life. I love the American way. Um, culturally, there are, there are differences between the two countries. I mean, one thing which I actually find very entertaining as, as a Brit in America is how much you guys love the Brits. Right. I and mean, that, that's a cultural thing which right. you guys the accents get, yeah, the away accent. ev- get away with it's, everything it is in remarkable. America you can walk up and be like look good evening um, I don't know whether you've got a table for, for two people but uh, if you did at sort of 7 to 8.30 that would be, that'd be, that'd be fantastic thanks very much and, and, and suddenly <laughs> restaurants will clear the menus and they'll be suddenly going hey 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 we, you know, absolutely I, I thought you were fully booked no 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 we've got space for you absolutely don't worry come on in like I did as, as, I love how much you love the British. I mean, yeah. it, it, it's it is a it's part of that symbiosis between our two nations. Maybe it's just it, a, a faded memory where it's like we, we just go. That sounds right. It sounds Nostalgia. like the way it should be said. Yeah, <laughs> and so and so it's, it's supposed to be said. It's part of it. I mean, I, I I'm also going to say that I I love I love like Chick Fil A and I love it. <laughs> I, I love it in and out. That's our thing like, here. In and out is amazing. I, but that's the thing. I, I love I love your culture of. I, I mean, I'm a foodie. We both are. Right, And right. I love that. And yeah. I mean, we can sit down and have a great meal together and be like, I mean, I'm going to make a complete hard sell here, but the, the burger at the Trump Hotel in Washington, it's unlike any <laughs> burger I've ever had before in my life. And I just love the fact that it's it's perfected to an art. And I think comparable, you know, actually, this is funny because we were talking about this the other day. The Japanese have dev- have perfected the tea ceremony. You know, this is this is a huge part of their culture. And I was mentioning to you the other day that there was a former Japanese prime minister who stood down uh, decades ago to perfect the tea ceremony. He went into a retirement to perfect the tea ceremony. I sort of think America has done the same thing with the with the hamburger. Yeah, like you, you kind of you kind of were like we're going we're going to get this absolutely right. And I and I we love the fact it. that you can you can go pretty much anywhere and just have the most incredible burger. I think and I will say I delicious. never order a hamburger when I'm overseas. You, you don't. Guys it's don't rubbish. And you guys get breakfast wrong too. Like American no, 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 breakfast no, no. Whoa, is definitely whoa, whoa. the best. <laughs> oh, hang on a second. Yeah. I think the English breakfast. You you are. Absent is a, is baked beans in America. Right? Yeah, I'm not a bean person. You know that. Yeah, but you see, beans are just a cr- weird texture. You don't part. usually like weird textures, so I'm surprised that you're into the bean thing. No, beans are great. Mushrooms are horrible, but beans mushrooms are great. Are great. No, beans, no. you have it mixed up, but uh, we have time okay. for it. We to can tell we you. can correct this. Yeah. Um, how do you stay happy amidst all of the hate that you receive? <laughs> we, gen- we genuinely think that the comments that people write are just hilarious. Yeah, I mean, uh, like we'll do readings, like Shakespearean readings yeah. of the comments, the hateful yeah. comments that we receive. It, I will say, I will say this: that I, a few years ago, uh, I've told you this before. When a friend of mine, my closest friend, in fact, was featured in the Daily Mail over here, and it was really the first ever exposure I'd had, or he'd had, and we'd collectively had to the to the media. And we sat down afterwards and we read the comments under the Daily Mail article. It's the best. And I laughed. And he and I had, I still remember to this day, we had a, we were crying with laughter whilst we sat on the sofa reading these comments and we did it for three hours. I've Since that moment onwards, and I think you, you, you obviously perfected this art as well, you have to take, you have to just read them at face value. They are hilarious. Well, and just, and just also understand that someone was deathly serious when they wrote it. Yes, exactly. Like they were like, this is it. I'm going to write this 
I will crush words. them yeah, with this, this comment. This comment yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, guys, like, nobody like, cares. Nobody cares about yeah. what you think. Like, I just couldn't care less. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I know. Like, your life is great. I'm, right. I'm sure you live in, like, a small village in the, the southwest of Italy or, right. like, you know, like, Spain or, where, like, Arkansas. Or it doesn't matter. Like, you know, like, you're not going to affect my life. But exactly. the trolls really do think they do. They um, really think they can. Like, if, also, if they just write it enough and viciously enough absolutely. that suddenly I'm going to collapse. Exactly. And I'm like, no. Where we think it's funny. And I also think it's hilarious because then occasionally when I read these comments and we're having a good laugh about them, you then go onto the profile of the person who's written them. And it's like following 758 people followed by eight. You know, and it's right, like yeah. and this person's life is that important that eight people consider them to be the, the totem pole by which they will judge their entire life. You know, right. and it's just who are these people? Yeah, I read this question is like, why, how do, how do you say happy amidst losers? I mean, I think of them as losers um, and I, I laugh at the comments that they write and that's that. We have, we have a very good sense of humor though. So. Well, I mean, I, I, and sometimes I think, I think, I think one of the, one of the key ones is, and this is, this will be a revelation to those, to those of you who are out there who write this on these comments, but. I think the main one is that grifters got a grift. Yeah. Right? Grifters got a grift. Yeah, Every, exactly. No matter what I, I do, it grifters matter, got a grift. It doesn't matter who. It, yeah. Underneath every single post I've ever read of yours online, it's always like, Candace Owens, the grifter. Right. You know, and it's, and it's like, I didn't even know what that word means. I know. We, it took like, us so long to work, to look it up because we, yeah, exactly. we just liked the way it sounded. Yeah, well, I mean, grifters look, got a grift. You, you've got obviously a degree in griftology. Right. And <laughs> I think, you know, you're the professor of grifting at the University of Grift. And, uh, you know, like the presidency of grift right. will be yours it's for the rest of your life. You know, I have no idea what grifting is, but, but, it, but you've got I, a grift. I own it. Okay? And, you've and got they a got a grift when exactly. they grift. Yeah, they the got a grift. Um, what is, oh, okay. What is something you do not necessarily agree with? but respect about each other nonetheless. Ah. Well, the, the big disagreement, as you know, that we've had in our relationship. Oh, we're doing this. Well, we can go there if you want, but okay. I think the big disagreement we've had is whether or not gorillas have souls, have eternal souls. Okay. And I think this is a, this is, we I'm, can glad, I'm glad to invite the world in on yeah, this we can, we can open Clearly this gorillas have souls. Okay. <laughs> just, no, I clearly just, gorillas do not have he souls. He doesn't think gorillas have souls. And I'm just, I'm pretty convinced that gorillas have souls. Yeah. I don't know. They look exactly like human beings. Like, if you see the videos online of them like scrolling through Facebook and Instagram now, it's like, how can you look at that creature okay, well, I, and not recognize I, the creature I, has a soul? Because I assess this from a theological basis. And I would say that if you if you impart a soul onto a gorilla, you have to impart a soul onto all animals. And I would say that. But we're animals. So animals. Are you saying humans don't have souls? No, I say humans are different from the rest of the animals. But they're kingdom. not gorillas. Ah, but, okay. so not this, gorillas. So you see, in my in, in your world, I've defined it by an absolute. I say that humans have souls, animals don't. Right? And you can say you can say we are animals, but we are different from every other animal, which is true. We are because no other animal has created what humanity has created. But I would say that you're 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 give a chance. You're, <laughs> <laughs> Your definition is there's a gray area between the animal kingdom. So you, in the in the Venn diagram of of life, where humans are one circle and animals are the other circle, right? You've got this overlap where gorillas sit. And, well, yeah, but because Rob, Robin Williams was friends with gorillas, I watched all the specials. And when this. they told the gorilla that yeah, uh, that, that he died, the gorilla cried. It's like, how can you say gorillas have a soul? We're gonna move on from it because it's a, it's 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 a contentious issue. Everyone. I okay, respect I, your opinion, but I disagree. Okay, what have you learned from each other? Wow. <sighs> grift has got a grift. Grift has got a grift. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what have I learned from you? I, mean, I would I would have said what I talked about earlier. I learned a lot about hunting, and I'm, just, I'm kind of really into it now. <laughs> oh yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say, well, th there's two there's two areas. I mean, I think at a relationship level, you learn you learn a lot about each other, and you learn. I mean, relationships and getting married to someone is all, all about you know it's about patience, it's about growing, it's about giving and taking, it's about it's about our relationship, you know, and, and that's. That's something that you develop with everybody. You know, you, you you have to learn about the other person, learn what makes them work, learn how, I, I learn how you work the whole time. And, you know, we spend pretty much every day together. So it's, you know, I learn a lot about you that way and it's unique to you. And I'm, you know, that's what I've learned about you since we've been together. From a philosophical intellectual perspective, what have I learned from you? Uh, huge amount. I mean, the, the whole way American politics works, it has been, elaborated by you um to me and you know what have i learned i mean we've we've had some great political arguments the two of us and i think i mean like i remember being uh, you know there's so many videos on youtube candace Owens crushes you know like leftists plus interviewer um and i've definitely felt 
once or twice that you've crushed me in intellectual debate. And I'm pretty sure there's a couple of times I've crushed you as well. So, I mean, right. you know, I think from that perspective, I mean, like- We, we love debating. Like, do you remember the argument? Do you remember, it wasn't an argument, it was a conversation about facts versus truth. And, right. And that was like, woof, I, I, could, I, I spent the rest of the day recovering after you, <laughs> after you demolished me at lunch once about fact versus truth. And um, I mean, that that's something that I love I mean, it's one of the many things I love about you. Yeah, because, we you challenge know, each other. Yeah, we do. We really, we really challenge each other. Yeah. Right. Um, are you a Christian? I am. Yep. You know this. Yeah, I'm. A, I, I'm I know. Yeah. I know. But people that are watching this don't know. <laughs> yeah, I am a Christian. Yeah. Okay. Um, who says sorry first? Me. You think it's you? <laughs> I just wanted to say that. I don't to see know. Your I don't think so. I think we both apologize. Yeah, we do. I think we're actually both really good about apologizing and just like owning up to it and moving mm. on from it. It's actually part, I, I would say this, it's something that my dad always taught me. And I think it's, I think it's hugely important. He, he always said to me, um, from a relationship perspective, he said, don't- Women are always right. Women, no, he didn't say that. Um, <laughs> but basically said that. No, but he, 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 he said, uh, he said, never argue on a Friday night, right? Because everyone's tired at the end of the week. And, um, you're just exhausted. And I always thought, yeah, that's really good advice, actually. Um, and then he always said, and make sure that if you haven't said sorry by by an hour afterwards, go and say sorry. And I think that that's completely true. Uh, and I think you and I both do that together. I yeah. mean, you know, the times when we have had comp. I mean, we don't really argue. We don't really argue off a lot. But when we do, when we, when we have bickered in the past, right. we both tend, because we're both kind of quite intellectually proud, I think, in some ways, right. we both tend to kind of puff ourselves up and be like, I'm absolutely right about this. How can she, how can she or he d completely disagree with me? And then and then within half an hour, we're like, okay, like, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I agree with that. Ice or no ice in water? No ice. No ice. Stop putting the no. ice in the water. What it's is so with, no. It's really bad. Please. Yeah, it's, it's horrible. Please. It, it, it gives it's you a very such American thing. It is. Yeah. Like, what is with that? I mean, like, that's another cultural ice difference. Water. I just don't get that. ice water. I know. Water's fine. Yeah, water's great. Yeah, I've, I don't I've want, never liked I don't ice want water. polar ice cap water. Like, I don't go to the polar ice caps to drink. Like, I, <laughs> I could just. <laughs> I just can't drink it. It's literally, it's, it's just so too cold. cold. Yeah, it's exactly. just too it's cold. Ridiculous, isn't it? This is a great one. What is your favorite book? Oh, oh. What a great question. Um, I know yours. What? You have one. Okay, tell me. It's Ayn Rand. Yeah, I knew you were going to yeah, say that. Yeah, it definitely yeah, is yeah. I have to admit, I, I would say that, and uh, this is a lot of people, in future life, people are going to be like, ha, he's a Randian. Um, and I would just say that Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand, no matter what you think of Ayn Rand, and, and I think that she... She has a huge influence on p politics, both left and right. Um, no matter what you think of Ayn Rand now in your life, and I would say that this is something that American politicians have also said and British politicians have also said, I think for a lot of people when they're in that kind of late teenage year, uh, early, you know, sort of early 20s, if you read Ayn Rand, she offers a perspective on life, which it, it, it's just such a mind, it's such a such a mind-shaping event to read Atlas Shrugged. Uh, and that's what I did. I mean, it was when I read Atlas Shrugged, it was just like one of those things where you were like, wow, this is an incredible book. And I mean, it, it is just one of those things. It's a complete, it's a, it's a magnum opus. You've got to sit down for like a week and read it. But it is one of those things where when you get out the other side, you feel so much deeper because of it. You, you've really had to process everything that she's writing in that book. And... um when I read it when I was, I read it when I was 19 years old. And I think for years you go through the school system and if you're a conservative bent, which I was from a, from a, from, from sort of, you know, quite a young, well, not a young age. I think in my formative years, I developed a theory of my own kind of conservatism. But if you've, if you've struggled to have the philosophical justification for why to you support free markets, you read Ayn Rand and you come out the other, the other side with the gospel. You know, and, and, and that's kind of where I ended up. Um, and it was just incredible. I mean, it's just, it is just an incredible book. I mean, the speech by John Galt, I won't say much more because in case people haven't read it and want to go and re want to go away and read it, but the speech by John Galt is just an incredible uh, piece of literature. It's an incredible political philosophy. It's an incredible economic uh, testament. It is just an amazing piece of work. And I would say that, uh, you know, it's one of those things where, you will be a more interesting person for having read it. I feel like I can't say Harry Potter now. 
So the I'll Chamber say, of Secrets or The Prisoner of Azkaban? <laughs> so I will say, for the same reasons, and even though I read it very recently, um, uh, it really sort of just sharpened my political beliefs. So the, the same reasons, I would say, really any Thomas Sowell book. Um, yeah. But Race and Economics is just one of those ones where he just cuts through the red tape of every single race argument. Economics and just, or intellectuals? Uh, race and intellectuals, you're yeah, correct. Yeah, race. He also, has, he also has race and economics, but race and intellectuals. Um, and he just basically lets you know the dumbest people in the world are the people that are at the head of universities. Um, and, and, and he just goes back and he traces throughout history how they've just actually always been wrong. So it's amazing that they think that they have the moral high ground or the intellectual high ground when they have just actually never been right mm. since the beginning of time. Mm. Um, and being able to have those arguments in your pocket when you're debating somebody on the left or when somebody tries to throw, throw at you a degree or where they went to school. And it's basically like, and I make the joke, but I'm being serious. The reason I'm so smart is because I dropped out of college, right? Uh, and, and that you couldn't capture me. And the people that go on to have yeah. 16,000 different degrees tend to know absolutely nothing about yeah. the, the way yeah. the world works and it's so important for black americans but i think also for all americans and and anybody that's um it, you know being thrust into this race debate all over the world uh read race and intellectuals and, and you will know um mm. that it is it is that the arguments they're making in terms of race have never held up the arguments they're making in terms of being a minority don't even hold up i mean the idea that being a minority somehow disadvantages you is something that thomas Sowell just destroys and i think in the first chapter he shows you how minorities actually traditionally in the past have been at the the head um, of societies, the Ottoman empires. It wasn't the Turks that were running all of the banks. It was the Greeks um, and they were the minorities. So it's it's just, it, it gives you kind of, you know, you can walk the walk, you can talk the talk, but he, he allows you to then walk the walk when you mm. say, I'm a conservative um, and I don't care about your social justice arguments. Mm. This is what's what, this is the way the world works mm. uh, and, and you feel better for it. So that would be my pick. Um, and the last question is, what are you guys doing to prepare for marriage? Um, well, we're doing a marriage prep course. We're doing a marriage prep course. Yeah, which I thought was interesting. Um, and then, well, planning the wedding. Yeah. No, planning the wedding isn't preparing for marriage, though. That's preparing for a party. No, that's true. Yeah, which has been unbelievably easy. But um, I would say people always say that if you really want to know if you should be with someone, travel with them. That's We've, a very We good have point. traveled together pretty much every day for the last six months. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's been great. It has. Yeah, it's, it's really how you learn that you're really compatible with somebody is yeah. go travel with them I so mean, you can get through it. We really have been through some things together on the on the road, haven't we? We I definitely mean. have. You, it, it'll test you. Being tired, uh, living out of a suitcase, this sort of lifestyle really tests you and takes yeah. you toward sort of… Not having eaten for 18 hours. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Being starving. If Gosh, you, and if yeah. you don't kill each other, then it's sort of like surviving an yeah. episode. It really um, is actually remarkable. I mean, I, I, won't, I won't go on about this, but it is remarkable how how like little we have we have been at each other given the stress situations that <laughs> we've been in I, I think that's amazing like I, I like even even at the even at peak stress I yeah mean, like me being accused of a mosque shooting in well yeah I mean but but even well that was that's like a political <laughs> stress level I mean that was just a different that was a different week but I mean like the the travel I mean that that whole situation in Dallas um, when we were trying to get out of Dallas, when the hurricane blew through, and yeah, we were sitting eight, on like, we, we were sitting on airport. this plane, and then we had to deboard the plane, and I mean it was just grim, right? The whole thing was grim. But but even even then, like I think our patience was tested once on that between each other on that day right. when it was like one of the I, I think it, in anyone else's world it would have been like ah like a whole argument, you know, it just would have been grim, but uh, and yet remarkably calm between the two of us. And I right. think we've really put our relationship through the through the crucible, uh, you know, before before we were even married. So. Well, we have a lot of similarities. And I think that what we know is that one of us is probably getting more frustrated with the situation than the other one. Yeah, so true. I'll always concede and be like, he's more frustrated, so I'm going to be calm. And then like, when I'm at my moment where I'm just like, ah, you'll, yeah. you'll be more calm. I'll just be like, I know what, yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let me there just take go. things, yeah. There we go. Would you like some water? Yeah. <laughs> What are you most excited about for marriage? That is my final question, and that came from me. Um, well, I'm I'm not going to lie that <laughs> children, I think, will be very exciting for the two of us. Yeah, we're totally ready. We're at that phase where every time yeah. we see a child, we're just we yeah. just want it. I think I'm excited for a family with you. Um, I'm excited. Uh, uh, this sounds totally cringe, but I'm excited to spend the rest of my life with you, and I can't wait. I genuinely can't wait. I mean, we have we we are you're my best friend. We have the best times together. Um, and I think that, 
we're gonna have super we're gonna have a lot of fun together darling i mean it's gonna be a lot of fun and I think for me, it's probably, I'm just excited that the anxiety of my life is over. Like the, and I always say yeah, this. You've said that, that before. Yeah, people always try to glorify the 20s. It's like, yeah, you're in your 20s, you're, you have freedom, it's fun. It's not fun. I mean, you don't know what you're going to do in terms of your career. You don't know who you're going to marry. You don't know if you're going to marry a good person. Mm -hmm. um, and there's just so much societal pressure to sort of figure everything out. So I just think of my 20s as one massive dose of anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, and now, since I since I just turned 30, and I know who I'm marrying, I know the, the person that you are, I know the character that that you have. I know how uh, our children are going to be raised, which is conservatively, or they can get the hell out of the house. Um, and, right? And they're, I, I think I'm most excited just for the, the confidence, the confidence that it's going to instill for the rest of my life because I have you. I have a partner now. So yeah. what the world really thinks doesn't really matter. Yeah. And uh, usually we end the episode with a two-minute uh, note at the camera, but we're not going to do that because <laughs> we can't both speak to the camera. That's so true. Um, so we will wrap will it say, up. I will say this. We are on a journey to find one person in life who you can spend the rest of your life with. And I'm lucky that I have you and I have Candace Ernst to share every day for the rest of my life with. And I, I'm lucky that I have that recording to play back to you every single time you get upset with me yep. on the rest of this yep. journey. That's very true. <laughs> Great. There we go. <laughs> Thank you guys for watching the latest episode of The Candace Owens Show. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. As many of you guys already know, PragerU is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, which means we need your help to keep all of our content free to the public. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation today. I would really appreciate your support.